I'd like to welcome back everyone to Digital Capital Advisors' weekly podcast series, which features founders, CEOs, and investors in the ad tech and martech spaces, also affectionately known as MadTech. My name is Jay MacDonald. I am the founder, CEO, and managing partner of Digital Capital Advisors, which is our 10-year-old, this September actually is our 10th anniversary, investment bank with offices in New York, Berlin, and San Francisco. This series features some of the industry's most successful entrepreneurs who have built rock-solid businesses that in some way have transformed the buying, selling, and or measuring of online advertising. Each podcast will last approximately 30 minutes. And for show number two, we could not have a better, more appropriate guest than Diego Meller, the co-founder and CEO of the performance marketing platform, Jamp. Prior to founding Jamp, Diego co-founded Livra Panels and served as his co-chief executive officer. Welcome to the show, Diego. Hi, Jay. Thank you. Great to be here. Yeah, it'd be an appropriate way to start would be to just kind of go back to the beginning. So, you know, and tell us a little bit about why did you start out, why did you start Jamp with your, uh, with your co-founder, Martin, back in 2013? You know, what did, what did you see? What was the vision? And, uh, and you know, how has sure. it evolved over the years? So, um, the, the, the real true story about how Jamp started is that it, it, it started actually a few years before that as a gaming studio. Uh, we we had uh, previously started a, a market research company together in, in the year 2000 that we ran for many years and then eventually sold to a company called Ipsos, which is a large um, market research agency. Yep. And we stayed there for a couple of years. We had an earnout, And once we were uh, out, we said, what can we do? That is the furthest, the furthest away possible from market research, which is, I think this has been proven the most boring industry in in in, in like across <laughs> any industry. And we said let's let's do video games. Let's let's uh, you know I I'm a gamer myself. I, I was you know playing video games since I was a kid. And how fun would it be to you know do our own video games? Um, so we did that. Um, invested our own money there and and you know released a bunch of uh, games. At this point, it was social gaming. This was the era of of Zynga and Farmville and all of those guys. And we basically learned two, two lessons. One, uh, that we were really bad at developing video games. Uh, and two, that the video game industry is a very hard, uh, you know, hit-driven, very, very difficult industry. So we basically started an experiment at the end of 2012 with advertising technology. So we did have some traffic in our games and we said, hey, how about we try monetizing some of this with, with ads? This is, so to put it in context, 20, end of 2012, early 2013, you couldn't even buy mobile ads on Facebook at this point. It was, it was very early days. Uh, buying mobile ads was actually very challenging, not to mention tracking uh, attribution and all of that, which is still challenging today, but at at that point it was it was basically the wild west. Uh, so that's how we started. So we started trying to make some money out of you know trying to monetize uh, the the failed games, and then that quickly evolved into a platform, which at the time was basically comparing performance among different ad networks and letting us make media buying decisions based on on that. Uh, we did that for a few years, did pretty well, started growing, raised a Series A 
venture capital round in 2015. Uh, and shortly after that, and, and by this point, by the way, we were starting to realize that the majority of the mobile ad network traffic we were buying was probably not too kosher and probably uh, not too clear where that traffic was coming from. Um, these ad networks at the time, and this is uh, before we went programmatic. So this was this was non-programmatic, in their majority, non-transparent ad networks. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we started having a few incidents where our customers would say, "Hey, this doesn't look very good." You know, all of the traffic is coming from one IP address, or there's some funny business going on with the um, the delta between when people see an ad and when they install the app. In in some cases, it was under a second, which was impossible. Very shortly, we realized that in the non-transparent mobile ad network business, there was a significant chunk of traffic that was probably fraudulent. And a lot of the technology we were developing at the time was actually to detect that fraud and to filter it out. And... um, Right about that time, this was maybe end of 2016, we decided to go full programmatic. So we had started about a year before. uh, So we had developed already a DSP uh, in-house from scratch, uh, and we had already integrated with some of the larger ad exchanges like Mopub and a few others. But at this point, that was 5% of our business. It was 95% non-programmatic, 5% uh, programmatic. Now, to make a, a very long story short, what happened was that within one year, we actually flipped those ratios around. So we ended the year with 5% non-programmatic and 95% programmatic. We in did that in, in one year. Yeah. It was a one-year transition. It was very painful. Uh, we were very lucky to get it done. Uh, we had a few lucky breaks, uh, a bunch of very large advertisers that supported that transition because they realized as we did that non-programmatic traffic uh, was um, yeah probably not 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 the best traffic to buy and and yeah and now you know it's been a few years we're a fully programmatic uh, platform uh, we have our own uh, technology which is basically a DSP that adds some features that are specific to the verticals that we cater. Uh, and those are what we call the on-demand verticals, and that's uh, food delivery, ride-sharing, uh, subscription, so streaming and subscription services. Uh, we do a bit of gaming as well, but the the you know the, the former are the the main categories we serve, uh, and that's that's what we do. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's where we are right now. Right, and you, um, who do you who do you view then as your competition? Uh, good question. Uh, it's it's difficult to say because it depends on the service, right? So we, we have user acquisition and retargeting services. So when you look at retargeting, there's the obvious large ones, um, you know, like the Kritios of this world and the mm-hmm. RTV houses and the uh, uh, the large uh, retargeting, mainly DSPs. Then you have a few smaller, um, you know, app specific competitors that we that we compete with and then when you look at the user acquisition space that's that's maybe a bit wider because you have more companies doing that um but it's everyone from you know 
Facebook and Google because you know that's where people go to 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 acquire. But then you have again smaller DSPs or or DSPs that are more specific to to apps. We we see the display um, advertising side of uh, user acquisition or retargeting as as something you do to complement your uh, social or search spending. Normally, the kinds of customers we work with are large advertisers that uh, are trying to scale and they're trying to reach their users or potential users wherever they are. And that means being on social, on search, uh, and on display. You you want to catch those people wherever they are and make sure that that you know they they have the right interaction with your brand, no matter if they're on Facebook or they're you know in a, in a gaming app or they're in an entertainment app. Uh, so normally the kinds of clients we work and you know companies like Uber uh, and 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 the large again the, the the large advertisers, they at some point reach a ceiling of scale with you know the Facebooks and and the uh, Googles and so on and we come in to complement that spend with you know, all the others. So it's like we're like the other guys, basically. So the 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 rest of the media that is available out there. Now the last time we the last time we caught up, you mentioned that you have 91 employees and they're distributed yep. around the world. Um, I believe your engineering staff is uh, down in Argentina. Yeah, that's correct. So yes, we are uh, 91 people at the moment, very specific 91. Uh, so we uh, are so both myself and uh, Martin, my co-founder, are, are are from Argentina. That's where we met uh, at, at university, actually there. Um, and uh, most of our engineering and operations team is based in in Buenos Aires. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, sorry, in Argentina because we have a small engineering office in Cordoba, which is another city in Argentina. Uh, and then we have distributed teams. Uh, in in mostly sales and account management or customer success in places like San Francisco, where I'm based, and Singapore, which is our APAC uh, headquarter. Uh, we have some people in Berlin, in Sao Paulo, in Brazil. Um, and I think that's all the places where, where we are. Uh, basically, we have an office per region, in with the exception of, of um, Brazil, which is, uh, you know, we almost consider it a, a different region because of how large it is. Yeah. Right. And the advantage of the uh, being in Argentina with the engineering team is that you got a highly skilled and educated workforce and obviously the labor costs are less. Is that, is that uh, accurate? Uh, completely. Yeah. So we, you know, we, we have the luck of uh, being able to recruit uh, great talent uh, locally and I think there's a few advantages of of having that. Obviously, the first one being cost. You know, the 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 um, the average uh, salary there is obviously lower than than in the U.S., especially lower than in Silicon Valley uh, and other places. But also, the, the being there gives us the chance to hire uh, people that maybe in more competitive. Uh, markets would not even consider working for a, for an ad tech business. You know, in in Silicon Valley, you would argue that the the best engineers want to work for the or the guys doing uh, you know sending rockets uh, to uh, outer space or doing self driving cars or doing uh, technologies that are maybe you know more um, interesting from a certain point of view. Right. Uh, in Argentina, you have less choice, right? So there right. there are less companies 
hiring locally. Um, there's some very good Argentinian companies, by the way. In fact, uh, Mercado Libre, which is the large e-commerce player from the region, just announced earnings uh, yesterday as well. And uh, they, they killed it. They're yeah. absolutely killing yeah. it. Um, and a few of the, you know, why Argentina has a very good or solid um, work, you know, engineering base, you know, some of the very early unicorns slash uh, public companies that came out of uh, Latin America actually came out of Argentina. You know, the, the first wave of uh, big internet companies from the from the first bubble, let's say, you know, the, 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 from the 2000s, those were all Argentinian companies. It was Mercado Libre, which is listed, Despegar, which is the travel company, which is listed, Globant, which is an IT services uh, company, also listed in the NASDAQ. Uh, actually, I'm not sure it's NASDAQ of, or uh, uh, NYSE. But the, so these these guys, they all came out of Argentina and you know, that built a local, um, in a way, in, in, you know, entrepreneur-driven community that I think has, has done very good things for Argentina. I must say that in the last maybe five years, I think Brazil has uh, really caught up and, and surpassed us in a way. Um, uh, and that has a lot to do with the fact that Brazil is a massive market in which you can build a very successful business without ever leaving Brazil, which is something right. that Argentina cannot do. So most of, this comp- most of the companies I'm telling you about, and you know, including ourselves, we have business outside of Argentina. You know, we, our revenue comes in its majority uh, outside of Argentina, but our operational base uh, and our engineering base is, is in, in Argentina. So that's right. yeah, that, that's a good advantage. Yeah, that's not too dissimilar to a lot of the European countries, right? That the, the markets themselves, right? They're not big enough. They're they're big enough to get started, but not big enough to build, you know, massive businesses. Yeah, Israel is always the the big example there, where you know there's most Israeli tech companies, you know, the, their sales are outside Israel, right? Because it's, it's right. a small market. Exactly. Exactly. Well, let's talk a little bit about the environment we're living in. You know, what's interesting about you and your background um, is that if you think about it, right, if we kind of look back over the last 12 years, somebody who started their business 10, 12 years ago, five years ago has never seen a market other than a fantastic economic market, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, And yet now we find ourselves in one of the one of the crazes of all times on this economic downturn with 20 plus million people unemployed in the U S and um, you know, it looks like while things may be turning around um, it's going to be a challenge. And, uh, and so I think you had mentioned something that was very interesting and um, that, that being from Argentina where Argentina has over the years has gone through a number of different crises it has really helped you manage your way through this particular situation we're in. You want to mm-hmm. elaborate on that a little bit? Sure. I mean, we, so don't forget that I've, I've been, you know, so actually the only thing I've ever done professionally was uh, start companies. So I've been doing this since my early twenties. Uh, uh, you know, we, we started our first company, Libra, in 1999 uh, and sold it early 2008 uh, and then, you know, started Jump uh, afterwards, as I, as I mentioned before. So we've been doing this for, you know, over 20 years now and, and, and yeah, we've been through a number of crises. You know, we've been actually when we started Libra in the year two thousand, we had the internet bubble bursting. Right. Uh, we had just raised money, by the way, so we were lucky because we, we were able to you know keep that money uh, and make it last for a long time. One year later, we had the massive Argentinian uh, default crisis in two thousand and one. Um, so that's 
that was, I think, the biggest you know sovereign default in history. Um, so that was that was something to to, to be reckoned with. Uh, then we had two thousand and eight, right, and the fan- global financial crisis, um, and and now actually even before this whole thing started, there was a crisis brewing in Argentina as well. So the point I'm trying to make here, we've been through a few of these, and I think that uh, again coming from a place where uh, you have cyclical crises a lot, you know, in, in shorter cycles than, than the world, basically, where mm-hmm. you have some serious, uh, you know, uh, currency variation or, or um, a default type situation every, every five to six years gives you a certain gym um, on, on how to, you know, certain practice on how to do certain things. So we're always, it's like we always have, so, so we're almost like a prepper, you know, in, in the sense that we, we always have like a plan B, like a plan B ready. And, and we move very quickly when we see signs of things getting, getting ugly. Um, so in, in this case, we were able to, to make uh, a few adjustments very early on. So early March, we had already basically implemented a number of things uh, to keep our cost uh, at the minimum possible. Um, and we did a bunch of things that, yeah, maybe some companies are starting to do now, you know, three months later or two months later. So we saved quite a bit of pain um, during during that time by 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 doing this. And look, we we have the with the experience of so when Argentina goes def, you know, goes into default, there's always this thing when countries go into default, like countries don't really go bankrupt, right? Because mm. you you have you know, people still have to eat, people still have to work, people still have to, and I think the same goes for the world. You know, like now we're in a in a global situation where, yeah, things have stopped for a while, but hey, people still have to eat, shop, uh, move around. So, um, yeah, I think that the situation right now is very complicated, and I do think that maybe it's less, um, I mean, don't get me wrong, it feels very dramatic no matter who you are, but it, it we're a little bit more desensitized as Argentinians because right. these things happen, you know, seem to happen a bit more often there. Right, but it sounds like you, because of the having gone through crisis, that, you know, I like what you say, that you've always got a plan B, um, you know, that's, uh, that's ready to ready and um, to be pulled out if, at the first signs of trouble. Yep, that's what we do. <laughs> <laughs> Well, speaking of trouble, there you know in this pandemic, just like any economic downturn, certain verticals are are thriving and others have been hurting. Yep. From from your perspective, you know there's the obvious ones like travel and the, some of these yep. on demand guys that have been hurting, yep. uh, like you know the Ubers and Lyfts. But uh, you know, so give us a, give us an idea of like who might be doing well that you're seeing out there. You know, what are yeah, some of the so verticals? So I think there's a couple of dynamics that are going on right now. So. One uh, is that obviously anything that has to do with entertainment at home, sorry, at home, um, is doing well. So, you know, video streaming apps, radio streaming apps, um, uh, audio book kind of slash podcast type things. Um, gaming of course and any flavor of gaming gaming i think there's an important uh, distinction to be made which is um, you know you have the guys that monetize with in-app purchases and you have the 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 group of games more often the the hyper casual or 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 casual games that monetize through ads Mm -hmm. Uh, in terms of usage and 
time spent on the apps that 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 has gone up for everybody but in terms of uh, monetization the the ad driven guys are probably not seeing uh, a a rise in that because they basically have more ad inventory but there's not that much um, there's you know less demand in a way and also cpms uh, and fill rates are are going down so that's uh, the what we've been hearing from and what we see from the in-app purchases guys is that there's been either no change or actually an increase because people are spending more time uh, and as a share of wallet you know for people that spend on the, those things uh, it's not that much money um no i mean the the other category maybe is social casino and and you know on uh, mobile slots and that that's a bit different it's also doing all right because you know again it's stuff that people are doing at home um but i think those are the more obvious i think the the things that surprised us a little bit is so we we were expecting the fintech guys to be doing okay during this time because you know people are worried about money they're 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 using the apps in a way to either you know, check on their credit score or maybe look at loans or maybe, you know, re- you know look at mortgage alternatives to refinance. Um, and what we've seen there, which is similar to what we've seen with the food delivery apps, is that, yes, activity is actually through the roof. You know, people are using those apps, mm-hmm. but marketing spend has gone down. So I think there's a, a, a situation in which, for example, with the food delivery guys where first, uh, whatever increase in demand they were looking for uh, by doing performance marketing that's coming organically because people cannot go out and they're ordering more food but also you have situations in specific cities or countries where uh, there are you know, more restrictions to what you can do with food delivery or they cannot cope uh, with demand remember this is these apps are normally a marketplace where you have, you know, the people delivering and the people ordering. Some of these people don't want to work or they're sick or there are restrictions to what they can do or they just cannot keep up with that with that supply. So uh, that's something we've seen, you know, it was slightly surprising, but, you know, we knew it could come where that, that has been reduced as well. Uh, and yes, of course, uh, in the same, uh, the same I was just saying about the food delivery guys, the, 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 the the fintech guys again it's less obvious because you don't have a physical marketplace where you need you know people out there delivering mm-hmm. credit cards right so it's not like like they need this but but it's I feel they're doing it more out of precaution so I feel like the fintech guys saying you know what we're getting a pump in our traffic anyway let's let's reduce our spend a little bit in uh, in the in this situation uh, so we're, we're seeing quite a bit of that uh, as you well said obviously travel is completely dead. Um, and, and it will be for a while. Um, and and yeah, then anything, again, that has to do with interacting with the real world, mm. you know, uh, event tickets, uh, right. travel or tours, tickets of any sort, uh, restaurant bookings, uh, all of that, unfortunately, is, is down. And, you know, some are going to come back earlier, some are going to come back later. Uh, but yeah, we're, we're seeing that, that, that pain. Great. Let's talk a little bit about uh, JAP specifically here. Mm-hmm. And so, in a typical month prior to COVID nineteen, how many campaigns did you run, and and how many of those, how many unique advertisers, if you will, and where do things stand now? Yeah, campaigns. I don't really know the number uh, because normally you have a, a. So if you have one advertiser, let's say like a food delivery app, you will have a campaign per city, and then you will have 
within each city a campaign for iOS and one for Android, and then you will have one um, maybe for user acquisition, one for retargeting. So then it starts multiplying. So it's it's you know tens of thousands. Um, Unique advertisers, so Jamf only works with large advertisers and it's a managed service. So the in, in terms of amount of advertisers, we're, we're, we're always around the 100 to 120 advertisers in, 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 in normal times. To be honest, we haven't reduced too much the amount of advertisers that are live. What we've seen is mostly reductions in budget, right? And, and maybe we have a small percentage, which I would say is between 50, I mean, not that small, but between 15 and 20% that are post at the moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the ride sharing being an obvious um, group. Yep. Uh, but we haven't seen, so, you know, it's the, the amount of advertisers hasn't changed that much. It's more the activity they're running throughout. Uh, and, and you know, what we see in most cases uh, is that reduction. However, one thing I didn't mention, we have seen increases in a number of um, uh, categories. You know, I think that the, the entertainment guys and the gaming guys, that are doing well are capitalizing on this moment to to invest more because it's a good right. time to invest. There's less, uh, you know, there's less uh, ads out there, which means there's more chance of getting in front of people and lo- you know, making those users more loyal, getting those users to use your app and use your your services. Um, you know, it's like my 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 grandfather used to say, it, "When everybody buys, you sell. When everybody sells, you buy." And I think that's that's the moment right now, right? If if you have money to spend, right, exactly. you go and buy some ads. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. On the um, on the mobile user acquisition side, what has changed recently? Um, so I think the changes. Let's put it this way: whatever is changing with the current pandemic, COVID situation, is not a change because of that. But it's 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 a change that was happening from earlier that is just accelerating right now, mm. and I think that. You know, there's been in the last couple of years, I would say, a big shift to understanding better how incrementality and 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 lift measurement should be looked at. And you know, we as um, you know, suppliers of of marketing want to make sure that we can prove in a very uh, scientific and and straightforward way how every dollar spent with us. Um, comes back to the advertiser in 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 a booking or in uh, in you know in in a purchase or whatever they're measuring. Um, so that's that's about to get even more of a focus, right? Because you, if there is one type of advertising dollar that will come back before others, is the performance dollar, uh, because you are going to depend on those to right. bring your revenue back and to bring more purchases, and and you know that's that's all we do. And if suppliers can prove uh, beyond any doubt that the money you're spending with with us or with any performance uh, marketing supplier is translating in more revenue, you know, people are going to turn up the dial there. You know, that's that's where they're going to spend. Mm-hmm. So I see more of that happening right now. It's like you know what? I'll I'll give you more budget, more budget, but prove prove what this brings me back right and and i think that it's still there's still a lot of discussion around what's the right way of 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 doing that in the case of jump we we've spent a lot of time doing that because in the retargeting business and in particular in the retargeting business as it relates to uh food delivery and other categories that have very repetitive spend 
you know, you when you use Uber, you use Uber, you know, five times a week. When you use uh, a food delivery app like Postmates or Grubhub or whoever, you you order food a few times a week or even a couple of times a day. Um, and and because of that, as a retargeting supplier, it's very important to prove what's that incremental order that you bring, what's that incremental booking that you bring. So right. we've uh, released a bunch of things, in particular something we call Always On Lift Measurement, which basically enables our advertisers to uh, check on real time uh, in a very uh, uh, transparent way what is the lift that that our campaigns are bringing. Uh, we do that, by the way, by something called uh, ghost bidding, which is a technique in which you uh, have you know, a test and a control group, and that control group are um, basically bid, sorry, impression bids that you would have bid on, but you didn't. And then you, you use that as, the, the, you know, you compare the behavior of one group to the other. Uh, but yeah, that's a big shift we're saying. And it's something that, that I think advertisers are going to be asking more questions about, hey, is this really bringing me value or not? Um, yeah, and, and then, you know, the thing I said at the beginning, as part of that, the transparency, right? And as part right. of that, the uh, the focus on making sure that everybody understands where that traffic is coming from. You know, we've been for a long time fighting against um, fraudulent ad networks. Um, there's still quite a bunch out there. There are still a lot of advertisers, some of them quite large, spending money on those guys. And that's something that I hope it's you know, the the demise of the fraudulent traffic hopefully gets accelerated um, during this because you know you 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 have to know what you're spending on at this at this moment. Right. Do you, do you think that there will be effects or changes on the brands that are that are basically in housing user acquisition efforts? You know, what where are they going wrong today? Do you, in your um, well, I think it's it's a tricky subject because there's. So I think that there are certain areas of the marketing um, discipline, let's say, that that can be done in-house. And I think that some advertisers have been um, successful in bringing that in-house. I think programmatic buying is not one of those things because it's something that still requires uh, a pretty significant amount of technical knowledge to basically build uh, an algorithm that can optimize your campaigns in in you know in the right way um, and i think that having an in-house team you know use a let's say you know a, a big sort of you know, generalistic dsp uh, uh on a on a on a sort of a, a a wide label basis and try to make that work that's something pretty hard and we we haven't seen any successful stories of, of doing that, mm-hmm. especially when it comes to performance. So I think that buying branding is maybe a different story. Um, and look, I feel like at this moment when people are reducing OPEX and finding ways to reduce their, their cost and you know, laying off people and furloughing uh, people, uh, Everything that you can outsource that that it's not your core competence, you're going to look at reducing, right? And I think that it's mm-hmm. it, it sounds it sounds far fetched to me that people will be investing much in building marketing teams in house at this point. Uh, in fact, from what we're seeing, they're uh, reducing those teams. Um, so I think that 
if there was a trend of in-housing and and to be honest from our point of view which is the the programmatic media buying for performance point of view we were not seeing that trend among our customers but if there was a trend i don't think that trend is going to let's say it's it's going to be slowed down or maybe interrupted because of what's happening uh, so that's that's our view with that um and yeah, obviously i'm biased right I'm, i mean we 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 right. are a managed service right. uh but 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 the truth i mean what i can tell you is that from our from our hundred or something clients um look, those are those are all very large advertisers that are all outsourcing that to us in a way you know it's yep. uh they're they're not doing it in-house and and there's there's one story which is well publicized. They even wrote a, a big article about it. Uber is the one example of a company that developed their own uh, programmatic technology in-house, and they built a whole team around that. Um, and and I think they did okay doing that. But hey, it's Uber. How many Ubers are around there? Wow. You know, with the, so it's a, so I don't know. Everybody's going to do that, um, and and who knows what's going to happen with that now? I mean, I don't know. Yep. I mean, in fact, they're probably not spending much money anyway. So that's the you know. no. They're hoard, they're hoarding cash at the moment, as exactly. they should. As yeah. they should. Well, this has been great. I I think we're getting close to the end, um, and uh, so I think I'll we'll have time for one more question. Uh, I know this doesn't affect directly affect uh, Jap, but I I we'd welcome your opinion on what the what the world looks like uh, post uh, cookie list. You know, when the cookie goes away, what's the world going to look like? Yeah. I mean, I. It's that's another subject where I, I feel I'm very biased, right? Because it's if in a world where you cannot track um, internet users or app users, there is no targeted ads, right? And if there's no targeted ads, we don't have a business, and and many other companies don't 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 have a business. So, look, we feel that what's happening with cookies makes a lot more sense on the on the desktop world because it was more of a I'd say there was quite a bit more of abuse going on there I feel and I feel that it was more of a of a situation that was you know slightly out of control mm-hmm. uh, and I think that that you know some right some decisions there were, were the right ones I feel the app world for the time being is slightly more shielded from that because it's a more, um, let's say it's a it's a more controlled situation. You have you know only two big platforms. You know you have iOS and iTunes and uh, Google and uh, Google Play. Um, but yeah, I, I must say, and and I'm I'm focusing my answer on the app part because that's what I know more. Like I, I'm I'm less familiar with the with the desktop world, but I feel that there will be a translation of whatever happened in desktop to to apps at some point. You know, if that's the demise of the IDFA, if that's the demise of the Google advertising ID, something's going to happen. At the same time, I feel like it's in the world's interest, and even in in the consumer interest, to have targeted ads. Uh, because I don't want to see, you know, whatever feminine product ads in my, you know, I I I I don't want to see a, a stuff for, you know, it, it's the waste of time and it's a it's a, it it just doesn't right. make any sense. So I think that we're going to have to find ways of, uh, and I think the industry will find ways. And there's a lot of conversations going on, by the way, on on how to go around the issue, 
um, with, you know, being respectful of privacy, which I think can be perfectly done. And I honestly think, so I think we live in a bit of a bubble where, you know, people that are in tech and people that are in, uh, in, 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 in our world feel that this privacy thing, when it relates to ads, is in everybody's mind. Most people don't really care. I mean, most people are pretty happy-go-lucky to use all the free stuff that the internet gives you. And yeah, they get hit with ads. And and yes, some are a bit creepy because they're retargeting you. But also people are starting to understand why that happens. And the fact that you're seeing an ad that shows you, you know, the the handbag you were looking to buy yesterday doesn't mean that anybody's stalking you. You know, it's a, it's a, it's just a, it's just a, you know, a, 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 a robot that doesn't know who you are. So yeah, I'm, I'm optimistic, let's say. That's great. That's great. Well, we'll leave it at that. Um, I want to thank Diego Meller, the co-founder and CEO of uh, the programmatic platform Jamp. Uh, it's been a uh, very engaging and fun and lively and informative conversation. And Diego, we really appreciate it. And um, I'm sure our listeners will as well. This concludes. Thank you, Jay. This concludes the uh, second podcast from Digital Capital Advisors.